going to show one more video, and I'm going to ask Pete to come up right after that video. But I just want to challenge the parents that have students or kids. They're your kids. They're not your students. But you have kids that are on college campuses. I, I encourage you, get connect, have your kids get connected with a ministry called Chi Alpha. Pete represents the leadership of Chi Alpha in this area and a lot of the colleges. And when you hear him today, you'll get an idea of why I'm telling you to get your uh, kids under there because I know there's a lot of challenges that come when we send our kids off to college but I know that there's ministries like Pete Bulet's ministry at Chi Alpha at UVA that is making an incredible difference in the lives uh, of, of our kids and so as we show this video of a transformed life uh, at the end of the video would you just welcome Pete up so after the video okay after the video give Pete a warm welcome all right up in any sort of Christian community at all, um, whether at home with my parents and my older sisters or at the many different schools I attended because I was moving around all the time. I always found religion really fascinating and I learned a lot about it when I lived around the world, but the idea of a faith that I could call my own seemed completely non-existent to me. Even when my older sister Anna came to Christ as a member of Chi Alpha when she was at UVA and she told me who Jesus is, I couldn't find any way to believe. In high school, my strongest desire was to be wanted. I strive to have academic success, athletic success, to hold any leadership role I could in my really small school so that everybody would see me. In the end though, nobody really knew me. And I used to come to my room at the end of the day and wonder how if so many people knew my name, I could feel so lonely. Nobody knew at the time, neither my friends nor myself, that deep inside, sin was breaking. In my desperate search for acceptance, I clung to a boy who I began dating shortly after I graduated from high school. And on the outside, I was all put together as Clara Ganey always is, but the Clara I really wanted to be was wasting away, and that relationship was so unhealthy. And when I came to UVA, um, for the beginning of my first year and I had to leave my then boyfriend behind me, I was anything but happy. But God knew exactly what I needed and he was with me every step of the way. Um, during my first week at UVA, my sister Anna brought me to every single Chi Alpha event. And every time I met someone from Chi Alpha, I finally felt like I could just be myself and I was really loved for just being me. And I would come home from meeting different people from Chi Alpha and think to myself, I want to be a part of whatever they have. Little did I know that at the time, so many people in Chi Alpha had already been faithfully praying for me, even before they had met me. Right away, I began going to M&L and to core group, and for reasons I couldn't explain, I looked forward to Monday nights and Wednesday nights with my core group more than any other nights of the week. The friends I made in my core group quickly became my best friends, and the words I sang in the worship songs were the prayers that I wanted to say to God. Every single question I had, every doubt that came into my mind, it would be answered in scripture or in a sermon, and I would actually laugh out loud during M&L a few times when this happened, because God never let me know. Every week, I also met up with my sister Anna and my core group leader, Ellie. They were so compassionate and so patient and so intentional with me. Um, they answered all my many questions that I had. They read the Bible with me and they prayed with me. And when I began reading the Bible, I couldn't stop. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever read. And 
For the first time ever, Jesus began to be real to me. In October of my first year at a worship night, I was surrounded by my core group and I had my sister by my side and I looked up at the wooden cross in front of me and I finally understood the suffering and the pain that Jesus went through and the sacrifice that he made and the life that he was offering me. And following Jesus no longer seemed like following a list of rules or like facing condemnation. God no longer seemed absent to me. Jesus was real and he loved me beyond comprehension and all he was doing was opening his arms and waiting for me to run into him. That night, I gave my heart to Christ and I've never turned back. I finally surrendered my control, my shame, and my anger to the cross. The next morning, I remember looking at myself in the mirror and barely recognizing myself. I was joyful, truly joyful for the first time in my life. And everything around me looked different. It was like a fog had cleared away and I could see clearly. God worked very quickly in my life after that. He called me to take up my cross and to follow him. And that meant at the time, breaking up with my then boyfriend and surrendering my relationships completely to him. God has continued to change me each and every day this past year with Kai Alpha. He's redeemed me from the darkness of my past relationships and brought me into a really wonderful, Christ-centered relationship. I've been blessed to be mentored by Kyle to staff and to serve as a first-year corporate leader, witnessing the Lord's amazing work that go well beyond my feeble abilities. Uh, I've just been amazed at seeing the Lord's work in my sorority and is bringing restoration into many of those girls' lives. I've also had the opportunity to travel with Chi Alpha during um, spring break this past year on another short-term mission trip, which has really opened my heart to the possibility of doing long-term mission work in the future. Today, I still face challenges with my family, questions about my future and lingering insecurities, but today I also stand firm in the God that knows me better than I know myself. And in the Chi Alpha community, that's like my family and that's always there for me. Because of that, I'm just so happy all the time. God has changed me forever, and I will never be the same. My name is Clara, and I have been changed. Good morning, Clover Hill. It's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. That was Clara's story. That is just one story of hundreds of stories that God is writing at the University of Virginia. And I just want to say thank you for your faithful giving to missions. Those of you who put money aside every month and say, we're going to give this to the cause of Christ beyond the local. And for those of you who give faithfully here so the church can give to missions, we are so thankful. Your partnership with us is bearing fruit. And so thank you. We couldn't do what we do without partners like you. In fact, Clover Hill Assembly of God is like our second largest giving church. So you guys are really significant in your uh, partnership with us. So we are grateful. A, a little bit more of an update of what's going on. We have about oh, just over 500 students involved weekly in our fellowship at UVA. I think we may be the largest student organization with an active membership on all of grounds. Uh, to God be the glory for that. And over the, we've seen God launch a missions movement in our fellowship. Over the last five years, we have seen 45 alum give, sorry, give a year or more on the mission field. And right now we have 
probably a dozen that woke up today in some of the darkest places of the world. And so we're so grateful how the Lord has put his finger on our fellowship to impact the nations. Uh, at the beginning of this school year, I, I was in a meeting with uh, President Teresa Sullivan. She has a, a coffee with the clergy every year, and, and I introduce myself every year because she doesn't remember me, you know. And, and so I, 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 I said, hi, my name is Pete Bulet, I'm with Chi Alpha, and she stopped. And she said, Chi Alpha? She said, I heard you had a good year last year. I said, yeah, we did. How did you know? How did the president of the university know that Chi Alpha had a good year? It was one of those glimpses that what is happening through the fellowship by God's grace and the power of his spirit is making its way all the way to the president's office. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord for that. So thank you for being a part of this. Our fruit is your fruit. That's the way the kingdom of God works. You have a vested interest in what we're doing. So thank you. Well, I want to pray and then I'm going to get to the word. Gracious God, we humble our hearts before you, and we say when you speak, may all other voices be silent. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would open the eyes of our heart to the glory of Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Well, how many people here are football fans? Any football fans in the house? You're going to be wearing your jerseys next week. Um, did you guys hear about the new sponsor for, for the Super Bowl when they heard that Peyton Manning was going to be playing? AARP? I don't know if you guys heard about it. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm the same age as Peyton Manning, so I can say that. He's getting a little, little bit, oh, that's, that's not right. But um, next week's the Super Bowl. Well, in high school, I played football. And I remember uh, my freshman year, there was this team, as I, I played football and basketball, this team that we feared to play. I, I could... I swear that, that this, this town, the babies came out wearing football helmets, and they, like in their preschools, were hitting, you know, the blocking sleds. I mean, these guys were mean, they were fierce, and we feared them, to be quite honest. This year, my freshman year, we had to play them in their hometown, right, on their field. And so we were on their territory. And so as we, as we went there, we were, had a little trepidation, and uh, the game starts, and by the middle of the second quarter, the stretcher had already been out on the field a couple times. Our one lineman had his foot broken. Um, our quarterback goes down, okay? And we are already down by several touchdowns, middle of the second quarter, and it's time for the backup quarterback to go in. Now, here's what you need to know. Our backup quarterback was 5'2", 99 pounds, and his name was Pete Bulette. I was the backup quarterback, <laughs> I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, here we go. And so, so you know, it, it, was, it was chaos. It was after a couple, couple possessions of not getting a first down and more people getting hurt. Our coaches call a timeout. They go to the center of the field, and they start talking to the referee and, and the other team's coach. And we're like, what is going on out there in the middle of the field? And our coaches, I mean, these guys were like the old-timers, rough, you know, people. They had like flat tops at like 60 years old. I mean, these guys were like the, you know, green berets of coaches. They come back and they said, boys, get on the bus. We just forfeited the rest of the game. In the middle of the second quarter, we forfeited the rest of the game. Have you ever heard of such a thing? I didn't even know that was even possible. But I guess they didn't want me being backup quarterback any longer. So then it was basketball season. We had to go back to Mount Vernon to play their basketball team. 
At the end of the first quarter, one quarter, it was 27 to 1. After eight minutes, 27 to 1. See, there's a key in sports that, that anybody who's played sports knows the importance of this key. It's called home court advantage, right? That having your own, being in your own gymnasium, in your own locker room, with your own fans, that it makes all the difference in the world. That's why the Who's this year are 10-0 at JPJ, right? We're undefeated, yet we have barely a 500 record when we're on the road because a home court advantage matters. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. What we're going to look at today is we're going to look at Jesus go toe-to-toe with the powers of darkness on their court, in their field. So if you will, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Now, Mark is uh, called the, the kind of the ADHD gospel, if you will. It is fast-moving, it keeps your attention, it is, it's quick-hitting, and, and so Mark's gospel uh, is kind of has this rhythm that's, that's pretty quick, pretty fast, and it's, it's a really engaging read. And, and then, when you come to chapter 5, it's like the, the rhythm of the whole gospel starts to slow. And when it hits the story we're going to read today, it just begins to hit this, this, this new rhythm. So, so you don't just hear what's being said, but you feel what's being said. And So we're going to read it together. We're going to read the first five verses to start with. It says this, they, this is the disciples and Jesus, went across the lake of, to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and, and foot, and he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons off of his feet, And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Let's hit the pause button for just a second. What the gospel writer is wanting you to do is not just to hear about the darkness. He wants you to feel the darkness. He talks about how this man would cry out at night because he wants you to feel the desperation of the darkness. He talks about how this man would would gouge himself and and, and slash himself with stones and and how he lived in the tombs because he wants you to feel how how, uh, dominated this man was by the darkness. And then he talks about how he couldn't be bound anymore because he he, he wants you to understand the power of the darkness that had gripped this man. He wants you to be repulsed by the level of darkness. Let's keep reading now says in verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell at his knees in front of him. This is the demoniac. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went to the pigs. 
the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were freaked out. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to just leave the region. So this man who is full of demons, we get this picture of of the magnitude of of the encounter that Jesus is going to have with him. He's asked, What's your name? And he says, Legion, for we are many. And, that, and when that was said, the, the disciples started, oh, gee, I knew we should have got out of the boat, right? Legion, we are many. Well, what is legion? Well, legion was a word that was used of a road, Roman regiment in that day that, that would equate about 6,000 soldiers. And you get this picture that, that Mark is, is, is painting of this is the darkest place imaginable. It's in a Gentile city, which was a a place of darkness to a Jew. It was in the middle of the tombs. It was in a graveyard, which was an unclean place to a Jew. And then it was surrounded by 2,000 pigs, which were unclean animals to a Jew. And then you meet a man who has 6,000 demons. This is the darkest place imaginable. This is the ultimate home court advantage. It's like all the demonic forces in the region teamed up in this man because they knew they were going to go toe-to-toe. They are going to have a showdown with Jesus. I want you to imagine this. I don't know if you've ever been to Scott Stadium where UVA plays football. But I want you to imagine hundreds and hundreds of demonic beings coming out of the tunnel to take the field and just hundreds and hundreds and then more and more and more and more and more until there's six thousand demons on one side of the field and then on the other side is one single man jesus of nazareth Just him and his authority. And you have this showdown, get ready to happen. So it's like, what's going to happen? And all of a sudden, the 6,000 demons start charging at Jesus. And as they near Jesus, they start falling on their knees and begging for mercy. See, they know that, that it's legion against one and they are still outmanned. They know that they, that they don't want to do battle with this one. Though it would be 6,000 to one. And so they ask, will you just let us go to the pigs? And Jesus says, sure. And so he literally throws them to the pigs and they go running off the cliff and they drown and you have the first bacon fest in the history of humanity, right? These 2,000 pigs go rush. And you think, why did Jesus let him do that? I think the demoniac needed to see this. He's like, look, there they go. Never to bother you again. You don't have to worry about those demons again. And in this story, we get this picture that there is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. 
There is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. There is no, no place in your life that's too dark for Jesus to be victorious. There is no marriage too dark for Jesus to be victorious. There is no home too dark. There is no workplace too dark. There is no juvenile detention center too dark. There is no school too dark. There is no university too dark. There is no country too dark for Jesus to be victorious in. He paints the picture of the greatest darkness you could ever imagine. And Jesus, hands down, wins and brings victory. You know, many people think that the universities are too dark. The, the philosophies they share, the debauchery that is, the, that is participated in. And even last year, if you watch the news, you know last year was a, a rough year at UVA. We had the Hannah Graham abduction, the Martise Johnson arrest, the Rolling Stones article. And it was dark. But in the midst of that, there was victory going on. And Clara Ganey, lives like Clara Ganey's and, and many, many others were being restored and were being brought into victory by the power of Jesus in the midst of the darkness because there is no university too dark for Jesus to be victorious. You know, I, a couple years ago, I was in Spain. I was in post-Christian, secular Europe. And can I tell you that post-Christian secular Europe is not too dark for Jesus to be victorious. I was there to visit one of our alum who actually now attends your church, Blake Fleck. And he asked me, could you bring a Bible with you? It was a, a Spanish-English uh, parallel Bible. Could you bring it? Because there was a young man by the name of Javier who had just come to know Christ. And, and he wanted me to give him the Bible so he could give it to Javier. And so I brought the Bible and it was this picture that in the middle of post-Christian secular Europe where there's an apathy about religious things that covers the place like a blanket, that Jesus is being victorious. Then I went to Cairo on that same trip and when I was in Cairo to visit several other alum, when I was in Cairo, I heard about stories of, of how years ago there were other empires that ruled Cairo. And we heard, we had this history lesson, about 45 minutes, and we heard about how the Babylonians used to rule Cairo, and then the Assyrians ruled Cairo, and then the Roman Empire ruled Cairo. And, and you thought, man, if you lived in Cairo during the day of the Roman Empire, you could never imagine the day that they would be toppled. It was just unfathomable. But we sat there, and we knew that historically, they were toppled. And then we know biblically that there's no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. And when you look in the, the face of the stronghold of Islam in Cairo, where they have 4,000 minarets that five times a day give a call to prayer, so 20,000 calls of prayer to serving Islam and calling out to Allah every day, you think it's impossible, but we know historically and biblically that there is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. And it may take us pounding our heads against the rock for years and even centuries, but if the people of God will walk with the apostolic hope that there's no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious, we will see the victory. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe it? Do you believe that there is no place in your life too dark for Jesus to be victorious? That there is no place in our nation too dark, no inner city, no prison too dark for Jesus to be victorious? Do you believe that there is no nation, even if ISIS may dominate, that is too dark 
for Jesus to be victorious. See, this is the apostolic hope that causes people to leave family and friends and move across the world. This is the apostolic hope that causes people to step out into the darkness and to proclaim Jesus courageously and to pray bold prayers of faith and to give generously and to serve sacrificially. This is the apostolic hope that there is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. Well, you know, if, if we were like uh, many in, in, the, in the church today, we would just stop reading here. He, look, look, he, he was saved. He was brought to his right mind. Look what Jesus did. He was helpless and hopeless. And, and Jesus did a great work in his life. And, and he's sitting there in peace. And Shalom has been restored to his life. Isn't that awesome? But that is not where the story ends. There's two more verses to this story. And this two, these last two verses give us a powerful picture that we need to see tell us a fundamental truth verse 18 as jesus was getting into the boat the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him and jesus did not let him but said go home to your family and tell them how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you so the man went away and began to tell the decapolis how much jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed okay so let me get this Jesus has a request from the demons, request granted. He has a request from the people who say, would you just leave? They're pleading with him. Would you just leave? Request granted. The the demoniac who'd been set free, who's now sitting there in his right mind, just wants to go with Jesus. Request granted, request granted, request denied. You're like, what? What? Why can't he go with you, Jesus? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to give us a bright light of truth that will literally transform this man's life and ours as well. Here it is. This fundamental truth of the Christian life that what God does in you, he wants to do through you. See, this man wanted to get in the boat with Jesus because that would have been more comfortable, it would have been safer, but Jesus didn't want him just to live a comfortable, safe life. He wanted to put him back in the darkness to now be an agent of redemption to expand his redemption deeper into the darkness. And so he says, no, actually, I've got a plan and purpose for your your life. I know you thought that your future was ruined, but I have a plan and purpose for you. And so it's not just to get in the boat with me. It's to go into the darkness and bring my victory into the darkness. Guys, the Christian life is not a spectator sport. It isn't for us to sit back passively. We aren't to be spiritual cul-de-sacs who just receive and receive and receive. We are to be in the game. Things should be flowing through us. What God does in us, he wants to do through us. And we see him take this demoniac and make him the first missionary. Can I encourage you to get in the game if you're not already? Be a part of of the mission of this church. I was watching the loop before the service. There are hundreds of ways for you to get involved. It may be going to the juvenile detention center so so the darkness can can be impacted by Jesus. It may be serving in in, in the the kids' ministry, and I do that in my home church. Let me tell you, that can be a dark place sometimes. (laughs) I've got three kids that, yeah. Anyways, so... It may be serving there, it may be serving in, in life groups, it may be serving the needy in your community with the outreaches that Clover Hill has. But let me encourage you to, sit, to understand that he wants you to be an agent of redemption. It doesn't stop with you sitting on the stump clothed in your right mind. Let me encourage you, he wants to use you at work 
Can I encourage you tomorrow when you go to work to understand that you are the chaplain of your workplace, that God put you there. He put a pastor in that workplace because he put you there. And so understand that you are there to pray for that workplace, that you are there to be a source of compassion and not competition, that you're there to bless your coworkers, to be a listening ear to your coworkers, to talk about Jesus to your coworkers, because he wants you to bring light into the darkness. And I believe there's some people in this room that God has given you an apostolic hope that he wants to take you to the darkest places on earth. And right now as I say this, your heart is thumping. Because he wants you to be a part of tearing down the Islamic stronghold so that the glory of Jesus can prevail. He wants you to go into secular Europe so the apathy can be broken and the glory of Jesus proclaimed. There is no place too dark for Jesus to be victorious. And what God does in us, he wants to do through us. It may be in your, just like this man was sent back to where he was from. It may be in your job, in your neighborhood, and even in your family. Or it may be to the ends of the earth. Now let me tell you, the next time Jesus shows up in this region... Is in, at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8. And Jesus, there's such a great move of God that Jesus has to feed 4,000 people. That demoniac was working some overtime, right? Because he boldly went there. And the next time, they receive him. Next time, he's welcomed. There's a crowd of 4,000. And I got to think that that demoniac had done some legwork in the meantime. And this is a picture of what can happen when one person has an apostolic hope who says, I will go into the darkness. And I believe that Jesus can be victorious here. That when Jesus shows up there, powerful things happen. Well, at the beginning of this passage, I'm going to go ahead and call the worship team up. Beginning of this passage, we see a man who's living in the place of the dead. We see a man who's bound by evil and who's crying out in agony. But a few short chapters later in the Gospel of Mark, we will see another man who's led to this place called Golgotha place of the skull, the place of the dead, who will be bound to a cross. And when the curse of sin comes upon him, will cry out in agony. Why? So that you could be set free. So that you could be clothed in robes of righteousness. So that you could be rescued from the tombs of death and have eternal life. If you are here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, this can be your story. All you have to do is open your heart like Clara Ganey did. And he can do the same thing as he did in Clara's life and your life. So as we enter into a time of response. I want to encourage you, open your heart to Jesus. And for the rest of you that are here, I want to ask us,
to do something that probably is a little bit unusual. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a second. As you close your eyes, I want you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. I want you to picture yourself as the person who has been set free. You're sitting there on a stump, clothed in the robe of righteousness, fully alive by the Spirit, and sitting in peace. I want you to picture Jesus walking up to you, and, and, you, and you say, Jesus, uh, uh, can I go with you? So he gets into the boat, and Jesus turns to you with eyes of love and compassion and purpose and passion, and he says no. And he calls you by name. And he says, I have a place I want to, to send you to extend my redemption. And then he says, I want you to go. And I want you to fill in the blank. What would the Spirit say? I want you to go and do blank. Is there a place of the darkness he wants you to engage? Is there a place in this church that he wants you to serve? Is there a person he wants you to call and invite over for dinner and to care for and to share truth with? Is there a check he wants you to write? Or are there things he wants you to keep doing? Places to keep serving. People to keep loving. Prayers to keep praying. Don't grow weary in doing good for in due time you will reap a harvest. Because there is no place that is too dark for Jesus to be victorious. Will you stand? If you are married, let me just ask on the way home, once you get in the minivan, the kids are buckled in, will you just lean over and say, when, when we closed our eyes, this is what came to my heart. I don't know if it was me, I don't know if it was the eggs this morning, but this is what came to my heart. If you're single here, would you tell a brother or sister in Christ, this is what came to my heart, would you just pray with me? I'm not... Because some of you, you never dreamed when you woke up this morning, this would be on your heart. Lord, would you speak? Would you embed in our hearts this apostolic hope that there is no place too dark for you to be victorious? Lord, thank you. Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing.